Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of CCC Talks with Mark O'Loughlin and the Cloud Credentials Council. Now, today we are joined by Lauren Williams, who is a podcast host, speaker, executive advisor, and digital transformation expert. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on CCC Talks today. Hey, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> Fantastic, thanks. So, um, Lauren, you've worked for both Amazon AWS, Microsoft mm -hmm. uh, Azure, you're an author, you were an evangelist at AWS, senior director at Microsoft. The one thing that hit me was there's nothing quite like working for rivals at that scale, I think. <laughs> That's an amazing story. But listen, before we go into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, what you've done. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I always joke that uh, technology is a little bit of an accidental career for me. I actually, believe it or not, I started uh, my life as a, as a journalist and then got really interested in uh, education. And while I was studying, I got asked by a technology company to come help them write some uh, some materials. And, uh, and after doing that for three months, they said, hey, wouldn't you rather be a technology consultant? This was, of course, going into the dot-com boom days when uh, yeah. you know all of us were sure that that was the answer to everything and we were all going to be yeah. filthy rich just by participating. So I, so I ended up in the technology business um, and yeah. uh, over the years kind of trained more and more as an architect, spent a lot of time doing enterprise architecture and, and probably over the last 15 or so years really primarily focused on things like reference architectures, uh, building frameworks, building uh, different types of methods and those sorts of things in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And then it got you into some of these big, like the biggest players in, let's say, public cloud between Microsoft and AWS. I don't know if it's a chicken and egg question. Which came first? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. I'll tell you kind of how I really ended up in the cloud space because it's kind of a funny story. So I was, I was writing these reference architectures. And, um, and so the first one, uh, the kind of path we would follow would be we would write these reference architectures, spend time testing them with customers. And then we would transition them out to the field. So the first one I did um, at Microsoft was their mission critical framework uh, and the reference architecture for that. But the second one was interesting. It was on dynamic compute. And at the time, Azure was really just starting up. Um, we really were just starting to get into the uh, the O365. This is the predecessor to oh, BPOS, which came before O365. Yeah. And they said, why don't you go spend time with those guys trying to understand how they do dynamic compute? So I got this free pass to go hang out with all the guys at MSN, the people that were building out Azure and all this other stuff, and really learned um, underneath the covers a lot of details about how they were doing things that, that really did become the public cloud. And so that knowledge sort of, uh, sort of, I always say, it, my, my career is this uh, whole sort of set of happy accidents. And that really was one of the happy accidents. I found myself sort of at this nascent cross where, uh, where cloud was just starting to really emerge. And I had this good fortune to be able to really get a really deep and detailed understanding of it kind of as it was really starting to develop. Um, and so, you know, like all things, you just find yourself. Next thing you know, you're uh, you're quote unquote, and I say this in finger quotes. You know, you're a cloud expert um, somehow. No one, yeah, no one deems you that other than you just hung around long enough to become a cloud expert. But yes, you know, yes. Now, yes, now yes. I'm a cloud expert, I guess. <laughs> yes, other people can't challenge you because they don't know what to say to challenge you. You're <laughs> right. to a cloud expert. You just need to know a little bit of something more than than somebody else. And That's then right. from that, did you transition into AWS because of the work that you had done in Microsoft? Yeah. You know, what, what I got interested in, I've, I've been fascinated uh, by this kind of common problem that I'm seeing, which is sort of the business application of technology. I think it's it's really easy for us to fall into that sort of technologist living in IT yeah. 
you know, and, and, and really focus on the features functions. But I really got interested in, uh, in doing things with technology that were meaningful. And at Microsoft, the last role I had there was really working in the public sector globally, working with uh, governments around the world, uh, um, trying to do really interesting projects for citizens. And a lot of it was heavily focused on things like improving education, you know, improving citizen access to services, those sorts of things. And so that was really interesting to me. Uh, and I was actually reached out to by a friend of mine that was at AWS. And he said, hey, look, um, you know, we're, we've been building this thing. We want to try to build this cloud adoption framework. We got kind of got a version of it we pulled together, but, but it's a part-time job for everyone involved. We really need yeah. someone who has experience uh, building frameworks, but also has experience not just building it, but then doing something with it, kind of helping to pragmatize it. And so uh, it didn't take a whole lot of arm twisting to get to do something brand new from scratch uh, and uh, yeah. something that was really interesting. And so, so yeah, I found myself attracted to AWS to go and get a chance to really build out um, and, and really flesh out this concept of a cloud adoption framework. So, and, and that was a great experience, you know, getting to, to start that and really build it out and make it something that's become somewhat well-known in the industry was was really a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because the obviously the technology comes before the adoption to the framework, the process, yes. so how, do you, how do you implement this stuff? It's the technology appears first of all, and then the yes. big scramble for, for all of this behind. So it's very, very interesting times. You mentioned something there about doing the public sector projects with I yes. think, Microsoft. And I think that's um, a missed opportunity for some cloud sellers in so far yes. as try not to sell them the technology, sell them, as you said, you want to improve the citizen's yes. information or something like that. Sell them the value or the benefit of the end cut, the ultimate customer at the end yes. of the day, supported by technology. Correct. Um, yes, absolutely. Sometimes we see far too many companies getting lost in the technology. You know, right. it's, I had me thinking about say public cloud, Microsoft and Amazon, biggest players in public cloud. You've got Google is up there as well to some degree. You've got Gmail, Teams, Office mm -hmm. 365 now. Fantastic advantages. I think everybody could ream off some advantages. But are there disadvantages then as well? Have you seen mm. this in the adoption framework? Are there disadvantages to using public clouds? What might they be and what might organizations need to do to yeah. use those? Yeah, I, I love the question because I, I, I describe this as something, I call these location problems. So the way I think about it is this, if you do crappy IT and you're just really bad at IT and all you're doing yeah. is changing the location of where you do crappy IT from your own data center to the cloud, yeah. You, yeah. you are zero better. In fact, you might actually be worse, right? So, yeah. so the, the, the challenge you really have with cloud is, is that to really take advantage of the cloud, you, you inherently have to change how you approach IT. And, and that's yes. the mistake I see a lot of people, either, either because of just the gravity of the way that they work, um, the history, uh, the inability to change culturally, these sorts of things. They, they think yes. that cloud will fix those problems, but it doesn't. And in fact, in many cases, cloud makes those problems way worse. And, and so, so that can be a huge disadvantage. We do see that. In fact, any customer I've talked with, and I've done a lot of sort of talk to customers after the fact that are trying to figure out why they're not you know, why they're not receiving these magical benefits from being in the cloud, you, you, you really determine fairly quickly that it's because you, you, you took every horrible thing you do and you now do all those exact horrible things just in a different place. Uh, and, and that's inherently the problem you're facing. Yes, because ultimately, as you said, location, I think it's a fantastic phrase because they're shifting into someone else's data center. 
Yes. Afraid yes. somebody else's computer. And magically thinking, <laughs> just magically thinking that all your problems go away. Yeah. Without realizing that, you know, you're now going to have to integrate with somebody else's That's data right. center. Yeah. It's different technology, different integration, different security. And the fact that you're still as the company accountable for what all this does. Like mm -hmm. Microsoft will go so far, AWS will go so far on security, and they'll say, we're secure. Yes. So that doesn't mean your application in that cloud is secure unless you make it secure. There are tools there and everything else. That's a that's an interesting. I think um, so many companies seem to have gotten caught up in that 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 cloud is the panacea. Yes. Twenty years ago, virtualization was a panacea. Forty <laughs> years ago, mainframe <laughs> became panaceas, but then yes, yes. and then it will be cheap to run thereafter. Yeah. I don't know of any innovative technology that's cheaper to run thereafter for a period of time. <laughs> Yeah, we used to joke, we used to say uh, in the old days, it was management my magazine, you know, I, I remember talking to CIOs back 20 years ago, and it was like, I don't know what an LDAP is, but I read it in CIO magazine, and I need an LDAP, so you guys need to get me an LDAP, and it's like, well, what do you want to do with it? It's like, I don't know, but I just know that CIO magazine said I need one, and, and yeah, cloud has yeah. fallen a little bit into that trap, I think, where it's like everyone thinks they need one, everyone needs a cloud. But not everyone's really sure what they're supposed to do with it. <laughs> so. That's the that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, the magazine and the always I refer to as the golf course syndrome. So <laughs> if the CEO CIOs on the golf course go, how much cloud have you got? Um, why haven't you got cloud? You know, we're going to save all this money, time, and everything. And I'd love to go back three years later to the same golf course and say, well, did it pan out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's a different proposition, isn't it? It's using it is. digital technologies to achieve um, value, to achieve competitive uh, advantage. That it's not necessarily cost savings. No, um, and you, you, you're exactly, you said that exactly right. And I think that's that's exactly the case. I mean, it, it really is about that business value creation and doing, the, I, I look at it this way, IT right now has a lot of constraints on it. And what cloud was able to do for us was remove a lot of the natural constraints we've had with with uh, with IT, you know, experimentation, a lot of these sorts of things. Yes. But but that means you have to think about IT in an inherently different way, and you have to think about it in terms of value creation. Because if you're not yes. thinking of it that way, you're, you're just you're you're letting constraints that no longer exist anymore affect the way that you utilize the cloud, and you're not taking advantage of that lack of constraint to do interesting things that drive real business value. That's that's so important, and I love the last phrase: doing interesting things that drive business value. Technology is taken care of at that commoditized level now. So yes. Give that yes. to somebody else. But so so many organizations haven't got into the mindset that it's we've got to think differently, think yes. higher order value from IT, not the nuts and bolts, not the ones and zeros, not all right. the networking stuff at the end. Still important, it's still done, but it's kind of out there in the black box. We've got to go up to higher yep. order at the end of the day. And you do see this in organizations where they call them the IT shops. I still come across so many of them. It was a phrase I heard um, many years ago. I'll, I'll remember, it will come back to me who it was. The IT department being the department of no. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. changed that in an instant. It was as far as, okay, if I can't get the IT, the software, whatever I need from the IT department, I can get it from a cloud instantly. 
Yes. And then I would say to IT, now integrate this, that's your headache. So you've that's created right. a double mess for yourself. You haven't listened to the ultimate customer internally, and now they've gone and got something that may or may not work internally that you don't know, they don't care. No, it's it's such an important point too. You know, one of my favorite questions to ask people, if, I, if I'm in a mixed audience, meaning like I have a, a room full of fairly senior executives mixed with some fairly senior IT folks, my favorite question to ask is I say, raise your hand if you know where your email's hosted. And of course, the IT guys all raise their hand and no, none of the executives do, right? They're like, I don't know, I push send receive and email happens. They said, so hey, tech guys, why do you think these guys care when the only thing you talk with them about is how great cloud is and, and the percentage of the effort you've completed in migrating into the cloud? They don't care because they don't know. They actually literally have no idea where this infrastructure is happening. They care about the value and the, and the functionality they yeah. get out of it, yeah. but you don't communicate to them that way. You're stuck in this land of like, nope, we can't do that. No, this is, you know, let, let me talk about the thing we migrated or this we moved. And, and business people just don't care about that. They don't care about words like migration or things like that. In fact, <laughs> right. I've asked them a question and I've seen the executives point up there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's up there somewhere. <laughs> I think it's a very interesting question about location where is email stored, for example, because in clouds, you've got to understand as well as the data jurisdiction that the yes. information resides yes. in. That's a whole yes. day's conversation, but at least it gets that thinking and how you architect based on location. Yes. Rather than technology, because Very much so. you have to, especially in Europe, with GDPR and all mm -hmm. data privacy, and your customers, if they don't trust where the data is, they might not use or consume your products and services. So yes. I think it's, it again, it gets us into that higher order order thinking. Fantastic. Now, absolutely. Now you do have um, um, an article on why you left AWS. Um, very interesting read. I took the time out to read that some weeks ago. I thought it was very, very interesting. It's a podcast in itself, I think. But if people want to read that, they can go to your LinkedIn profile. And Absolutely. The link is, is there. It's, it's a good read. It's a long read. Very interesting. But I encourage people to have a look at that. Now, this year, Adam, you've launched your own podcast. Can I have, yes. a little bit about that? It's very interesting. But, but tell our listeners a little bit about it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, one of the things I've kind of found um, as I've done this business for quite a while is that I, I've seen sort of this um, this shift in sort of the mindset within our industry where we've moved away from sort of practical professional skills and sort of teaching people more of that sort of thing, just to just those straight functional technical skills. And, and you know, yeah, when I talk with CIOs, you know, I, I put it out to them. I say, if you're told you got to shave 10% out of your budget next year, what's the first thing you cut? And, and ubiquitously, they all say, you know, we're going to cut training, we're going to cut seminars, we're going to cut this other sort of stuff. And so, yeah. so we've created this environment where we're, we're not training people on sort of how to think about problems, professional skills and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and so I really wanted to, to try to do something to address that. And so uh, I, started a, I started a podcast, uh, The Polite Way to Say It is Stuff I Learned the Hard Way. Um, and, and I, and I try to, I try to get out usually, usually twice a week, sometimes as many as three times a week, uh, different, different, uh, videos out on topics. Um, and I kind of range everything from professional skills through to, uh, just sort of how to think about certain types of problems within IT or within business. Yeah. Um, but the real goal there is to, to really sort of give people an avenue to sort of think about things in different ways and, and maybe, maybe help them question the way that they've approach things uh, in a positive way, I mean. I just help them sort yeah, of think about yes. problems in a more expansive way. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I've watched some of them. I think they're really, really good. I think it's Thank you. it's we teach at CCC as well. It's similar to, you know, the technology. It's not just about technology in IT anymore, and it hasn't been for a long time. And then cloud and digital shifts all of that because a lot of the hard work, it's like your car is mm -hmm. being done on the hood. You know, yes. you don't need to know about it. You need to know how do I use these digital yes. and cloud services to deliver value? How do I think about it differently? How do we think about from an IT perspective solving a business problem or working with the business to figure out how to solve their problem using yes. all of this new digital stuff? Yes. I think yes. that's where the value is. But again, we see we're not taught this in college and universities when you that's go right. on an IT track, you're shoveled down all the technologies of the world and you come out and you start talking technology to the business and they go. We, we, we yeah. don't understand this, you know, migration, I don't understand this, you know, we don't right. know. It's a, email, in fact, I don't care where it is anymore. It, <laughs> it either works or it doesn't because when your executive goes home or when your employees go home, they pull out a phone or tablet and guess what? Email just works. That's right. Yeah. Applications just work. It just works. Now, security and privacy and all that stuff, we've got to work around that, but their expectation is totally different now. They want help to figure out business solutions using, using yes. all of this stuff. Yeah. Because, let's go ahead. Oh, no, no, I, I was just to say that I think you hit it exactly right. And that's that's a mindset that, that you know, it's kind of interesting that MBAs get taught a lot about value management, KPIs and measurement, but IT people, you know, the only thing we learn are low level IT metrics. And, and so there needs to be sort of this merger and this higher level thinking about these sorts of it, topics. It, yeah. it is, and it's not just on IT, it's the IT and the business almost merging in where oh, yeah. we're, we're together. Interesting with MBA tracks, so, so many of them fail, still today fail to have a module on IT. <laughs> yes. That's Everything true, very true. It's an elective that you may or may not do at the end of the day, but it doesn't appear to be in the core. Name, yes. there's very few companies that exist today without technology. You know, we've uh, the Aran Islands here off the west of Ireland, tiny little island, it's a tourism industry, cottage mm -hmm. industry. They have technology on one of the remotest islands in the shop. Yeah. And I remember being there and I asked one, one day, um, if that didn't work, could you tell me, could your shop run? They said no, at the end of the day, because of the way it's all set up. So there's very few organizations that can run today, but, but we need it. Now, I think it's episode five of your podcast. Uh, you talk, I love the phrase, you don't need an IT strategy. That's what it's focused on. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit about why people don't need an IT yeah. strategy or where you're coming from. Yeah, and this is this is kind of an interesting point, and and it's something that I keep coming across uh, in businesses, and I and I think the way they think about it is this: um, most organizations, most companies, most businesses, they have a strategy, and and the function of every other part of the organization is to help that organization as efficiently and effectively as possible execute that strategy. And I think too often what ends up happening is we end up with people that create their own strategies within the organization. And the problem with that is that, you know, I, I think I say it in the, in the episode, you know, if I went to the street and I said, well, hey, you know, we completely failed to execute our corporate strategy, 
but our IT strategy went off without a hitch this year. There's no investor that's going to be like, well, that's great. At least you got it. You nailed that IT strategy, right? It, because it's just irrelevant. And so, uh, in fact, a lot of the work I'm doing behind the scenes right now is, is I'm working on a, a net new framework. And a lot of the work on that framework is about, well, what, what's better than a strategy? You know, if, if, if strategy is a bad word and if strategy is not the right way to think about it, how do we realign ourselves? And this is really what you and I have been talking about for so much of this of this conversation yeah. is like, how do we realign ourselves in such a way that we're all focused on helping the organization execute uh, its strategies efficiently and effectively as possible without sort of creating these artificial sort of fiefdoms around the organization, each with their own independent strategies, which, which you know, let's be really honest with ourselves, oftentimes are completely out of alignment with what it is that the organization as a whole is trying to do. Um, yeah, yeah. I've seen so many of those, again, a lot of them written in PowerPoints as well, that go on and on, but what, what did you really they're put in the drawer, they're never seen again, they're created, consultants spend a lot of money, you know, building them, but what do they do? Um, we teach in our cloud courses about IT strategy being what's called a subcomponent of the business strategy. Yes. And it's there to enable that. But it shouldn't be technology driven, no. um, but it should help the business understand how to use technologies to achieve uh, that. But a lot of challenges with the CIO still happens today. You know, five, 10 years ago, was the CIO in the boardroom? No, the CIO was outside the boardroom, <laughs> That's right. listening in yeah. with the glass on the wall. That's right. That's right. I mean, often, often relying on the COO to tell them whatever it was they were supposed to know, right? I know, I know. <laughs> I, I go, so switch off your technology and see how important the CIO role is. Yeah. But it only, it only becomes apparent if you're talking business, the business language of technology yes. rather than technology. And as you mentioned before, your metrics have to be at a business level. Almost yes. like the CIO was almost like selling to an investor almost. That yeah. kind of mindset. They have to translate yep. all the technology, everything that's going on on the ground and with the suppliers and everything else. Nobody in the board cares about any of that, but they have to translate that. And I think the CIOs that are achieving things today, that are retaining their jobs, but are achieving things today, are doing that translation. But they, they are. They don't talk this in CIO school or an MBA school or mm -hmm. in CIO magazine, perhaps, you know. It's, no, it's, not hard. it's hard. And I think frameworks like what you're talking about helps to achieve that, or even knowledge. Yes. Knowledge and understanding about what is the context of cloud, what is the context yes. of digital. Yes. If I can nail that, I might be able to translate this into sense for the rest of the business. And then yeah. kind of, I won't say control, control is kind of a bad word these days, but be able to moderate it and get the benefits from all this cloud and digital. We're still a yeah. long way away from that. But I think it sounds like yeah. the work you were doing in AWS and Microsoft was trying to get to some understanding of that kind of adoption. We don't need a strategy we need to understand adoption maybe is yeah. probably an approach to take. Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting. You know, it's it's, it's fascinating to me, it, it, like, taking your example, the reason I always try to get people to think about it in this particular way, and I'll, I'll use a real example just to give you a, a little bit of an, an insight into what I mean. Let's let's take a super simple problem that seems simple on its, on its outset. So, you know, if I'm a company and I say, hey, I want to increase sales. 
um, and my IT guys go, they go to the CIO and I go, I need to increase sales. And the CIO goes, great, let's go buy some CRM. Well, that's an interesting way to think about it. But if you if you take it a slightly different way and you say, okay, you want to increase sales, how are you going to know sales are increasing? What metrics are you watching? What if they tell you our biggest problem is not our sales per se, it's qualified leads getting into our pipeline? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because qualified leads getting into the pipeline is actually a marketing problem, not necessarily a selling problem. And in fact, yeah. the, the technology that might be best applied to helping you improve your, your efficacy of lead gathering or getting higher quality leads might be ML or AI. It might be an analytics platform that lets you better classify your customers and target and segment yes. your customers to better align campaigns to those customers. But if, if I was a CIO and someone says, I, I, I need some technology, I want to make sales better, and I assumed that that meant CRM, um, by not understanding how the organization is looking to measure the value of what they're getting, you've picked the yes. wrong answer. And so yes. it, it really becomes important that you do go through this process of, of decomposing down from what it is the organization is trying to do, understand those measures and sort of align it all the way down through because it actually eliminates uh, bad spending or misspends at the IT level by investing in technologies that inherently have nothing to do with driving the actual metrics that the organization cares about. Yeah. And, and that's that's hard. That's a hard thing. You know, it's not something going back to your point. It's not something we teach in IT school anymore. And I'm not even so sure we teach yeah. it in business school as well as we, we should. We, we don't. It's easy to buy the technology. It's easy to yeah. buy the CRM. At a conference, though, that was a fantastic phrase that talks directly to this. Where I can't remember. Somebody stood up who was a bit disgruntled and said, CRM never solved anything, at least for us. <laughs> insofar as very similar to your example that they yeah. bought the CRM solution but they answered the wrong problem yes yes the wrong way as you said um interesting on another episode we we're talking about iot and the same yeah. kind of mindset is don't mm -hmm. tackle iot you know to solve a particular problem but you know it's go have that higher order thinking think of the value more backwards Go yes. to the customer, come backwards, and then see what it might do. And a lot of this blue sky thinking for IoT, because sometimes the answer isn't there, or you're creating a new market, and it's difficult. But the business folk don't understand the technology the way the technologists no. do, and they need, I think, it's translation. Oh, they're they're trying to solve something. There's this new technology which is changing constantly now. Yep. Like years ago, we had technology that would take 40 years to change, then 20 years to right. change. Right. Cloud that you were involved in five, six years ago in AWS and Azure, I would imagine, but I'll ask you, has it changed significantly since then? Yeah, I, I think um, I think we've gotten smarter about uh, use cases and applications yeah. than we used to be. I think I think in a weird way, um, you know, and look, I don't think this is a big secret to anyone. Cloud, I think it, in its inception, was really sort of like a tool looking for a problem. Um, and, and we had these kind of generalizations and most of our justifications were built around this inherent, you know, oh, if you just, if you're just in cloud, you're gonna inherently be 8% more resilient. Uh, okay, all right, that's great, you know, and everyone championed that. Hey, you wanna be 8% more resilient? Let's, let's just be yes. in cloud. Um, but, but as we've started to realize that there are certain things you can do in the cloud, and I think this is where IoT to a certain extent, AIML, these yeah. sorts of things live, that ability to scale that processing power uh, on demand and as needed 
is something yes. that you just can't do in a in a traditional data center where you're yes. you know your CPU memory you know drive you know storage bound. Uh, and so I think we've gotten better at starting to understand the things that that give cloud its unique value proposition, and we've started to see how to apply those things in more interesting ways. Um, yes. And I think that that's that's really created a, a more intelligent marketplace for what cloud can do. And, and in fact, I think those are the this is the great irony of kind of how people or organizations approach cloud is that so much of the time they're like, well, I just want to migrate my stuff to the cloud. And yes. It's like that's going to be the least value you're going to get out of the cloud in the end. I mean, <laughs> yes, you're going to get some OPEX savings. Bleh. But where you're really going to get your value is when you start taking advantage of those things in the cloud that you simply can't do in your organization. And a lot of that's going to be driven by these new AI, ML, IoT, uh, these types of capabilities, edge compute, all of these sorts of things that are just not things you can possibly do in your data center. And that's going to give you a tremendous amount of value. So I, so I think that's been the change in the industry. Um, I think there's a little bit of maybe seven years ago, I mean, to say it, you know, kind of rudely, it was a little bit of a land grab. It was just like, let's get everyone on the cloud. We can possibly get on the cloud. We don't care about anything other yeah. than getting them on the cloud because yes. that's our business model. To now, people are being a lot more intelligent about, we really want you to come to the cloud because you find it valuable and we want to help you do things in the cloud. And, that, and again, this is where, as much as I hate the phrase, sometimes digital transformation, this is where that's really starting to, to hit. And that's where people are seeing that they can really do some very interesting and unique things uh, with their business that they never could do before, uh, and that they can't do in their data center. They can't do yeah. when they're bound by, by physical yeah. boxes. And that's an interesting change now where cloud, hopefully we're moving on from the go to cloud to save money, go to cloud to yeah. move from CapEx to OpEx because yep. it's going to cost you money to get into a cloud and stay there. Yeah. And going to cloud, you know, all the benefits that you just mentioned are the value part of why you would go rather than save money and it's going to cost you more. Mm -hmm. And then OpEx, CapEx, OpEx may not be suitable for the organization. That's right. You know, so I think what I'm hearing as well is we're moving away from those conversation points. We are. What you mentioned there about the value of it, and especially with uh, the processing power that can do phenomenal things more than you could ever do in your organization. Right. right. Think about the higher value order things that you might get done. Yeah. Um, in another uh, vlog, you talk about people-centric culture mm. and how people don't, I thought this was interesting, very true. People don't necessarily correlate the work that they do to the corporate strategy at the end of the yes. day, um, at least yeah. in project sense. You know, do you think that applies to technical and business people in this digital space that we exist in now? Yeah, I, I really do. And, and in fact, you know, you don't even have to take my word for it. If you look at, um, in fact, PMI has been tracking this kind of concept of value delivery for a lot of years now. They do their uh, yeah. every two years. They yeah. do their big survey. And if you look, um, in fact, I think it's kind of interesting, the most recent one, and I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at PMI by any means, but in the most recent one, they sort of changed the question. And I think it might be a little bit because they're frustrated with, with seeing zero improvement. But, um, but you know, the old stats were things uh, like, you know, something like 60% um, of all projects delivered, delivered no organizational value whatsoever. And, and a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, take a project team on average, just go ask them, say, you know, what is the business metric that, that this project is ultimately going to accrue to and drive change in? 
And everyone yes. looks at you, you know, like you're stupid. You know, they're like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and, and then I, I'll ask them the question. I say, you know, what are the three characteristics of a well-run project? And of course, everyone without thinking can say, you know, on time, on project, on scope. And I said, which one of those is value? And yeah. they go, uh, I don't know. And so, and so the answer is projects are projects. We think of them as IT projects, but, but I think that that specific problem exists even in non-IT projects across organizations mm -hmm. where yeah. Yeah. there's a disconnect between the ultimate value you're looking to deliver. And I think as, a, yeah. as an employee, right, I want to come to work and know that I'm doing something that the company cares about that's meaningful yeah. to my organization. Yeah. And if I just feel like I'm, I'm in a vacuum in a cubicle somewhere doing stuff that literally no one cares about, um, that, that's, that, that doesn't promote employee satisfaction. That doesn't make me feel really good about what I do every day. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of evidence that that workers that don't feel connected to the job, uh, workers that aren't feeling like they're part of delivering something of value um, are, are the types of workers that go other places or, or that can yeah, even yeah. hamper the organization's ability to succeed. That's true, yeah. I think um, I said in all parts of the business, we're busy doing, but is that doing lead to some form of value that yeah. people get and understand? And it's, it's all the way up and down the hierarchy, whatever way, whether it's flat or whether it's yeah. matrix or whether it's highly complex bureaucratic, along the way, maybe we're losing the ability to understand what value is because yeah. it's difficult. I, it when is. I handle the program, I say it's difficult to define value, and then it gets worse because value is subjective. It is, you know, based on how people perceive it. Yes, absolutely. So, so it's, it's 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 a struggle. But it is needed if you really want to succeed with your digital and cloud initiatives, and especially it's for another day, uh, digital transformation. <laughs> we'll do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They also talked about um, fear of failure and why failure is critical. And we hear about fail fast, fail often. Yeah. This kind of stuff, you know. But I like the phrase that you said. You talk about you know the person who has never had to work their way out of a hole yeah Tell us yeah what you mean by that that's interesting yeah, it's it's kind of interesting i um i'll just from my own perspective i i i actually found myself in this position um which by the way isn't a fun position to be in doing a lot of what we used to call project recovery which is where you know when uh when a project has a massive failure and it's a critical project i would find myself getting dropped in to sort of figure out how to how to get a project back uh, on track and and what you learn pretty quick is that um, is that that is a skill. Dealing with failure is a skill, and it is the most messed up skill there is because the only way you know, it, like any skill, you have to practice that skill and you have to have experience with that skill. And and yet inherently, everyone hates to fail. And so now you're in this weird catch twenty two where it's like I need to fail so I can get used to dealing with failure and working out of a deficit. Um, but inherently, I don't want to fail. And so it's this weird catch 22, but yet you find like, especially those mid to senior career people, the ones that are so successful are the ones that have learned how to deal with, with, with um, difficult circumstances, with failure, and, and they don't freak out when it happens. You know, they actually can calm down, take a step back, be very objective about it, work their way through the problems, get things back on track. Um, and so I think, I think it's a really, really underrated skill 
but when you tell someone, hey, you know what? You know, I think your biggest challenge is going to be you've never had to work out of a hole. You've never had to get yourself back right again. They look yeah. at you like you're crazy because they're like, I don't want to be in a hole. I don't want to fail. Um, but, yeah. but it's just such a critical skill. It's, I think, because there's stigma attached to yeah. why are you in the hole in the first place? How did you get yes. in there? Oh, yes. you did something bad. So we put this stigma onto it. Where we do. With all this new technology, the way it works, the way we've got to try it out, um, businesses have to change. Your competitor yeah. is doing something different or is thinking different. You're going to have to try and do it. Yeah. Eight of the ten things you might do are likely to fail. Two to That's succeed. Right. You only That's need right. one to be the, the cash cow. But um, you've got to get into that, get away from the stigma and the blame game. But we know yeah. organizations can be very political. And the chain of command, the hierarchy can be very, um, they can politicize some of that. But uh, I think, as you said, that sounds like a fantastic skill we should teach more of. <laughs> and maybe in university is, okay, kids, today we're going to fail, we're going to fail often, and you're yeah. going to get to like it because guess what? What happened at the end of the, the day? That's so right. The, yeah. A quote I read recently, um, I won't get it verbatim now. But it was the CIO had mucked up a project and lost a million dollars. And he goes into the CEO with the resignation letter and said, I, I've messed up here. We're down a million. Here's my resignation. And the CEO tore it up in front of him, threw it in the bin. And he said, What are you doing? He said, I've just spent a million dollars on your education. You're going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's exactly right. And, and I think I, you said something there that I think is critically important when we think about cloud in particular, and that's that um, historically the cost of failure has been extraordinarily high. And it sort of yeah. beat us into this world where we, we're, we're almost reticent to try things because the cost of failure has been so high. And, and the, the hardest thing I have to communicate to people, and one of the things I've had such a difficult time getting, getting CIOs and executives to understand is that cloud makes experimentation really really cheap i mean like yes. you can you can experiment with something uh, off your credit card you know and, and try it yeah. and it's no longer i just screwed up and i just cost my company you know 250,000 euros it's yeah. i just screwed up and um you know that was 500 euros so you know yeah. let's go do it all over again you know? let's do it again that 500 euros or dollars whatever that we've just lost probably yeah. saved us losing yeah. 250 if we it the old way. So yeah. there's, a, there's a massive value in that equation and you can turn it around quickly, get access yeah. to the credit card and fail away in cloud. Especially yeah. with IoT, is that it's very cheap to get into yes. using IoT yes. and to figuring out will this work on the things we have or not. Yeah. Just try yeah. it, go for it, but have the mentality Absolutely. to fail, to be in the hole, to dig yourselves out, and keep doing it. I said it's a key skill. Um, Lawson, are there any key lessons that you've hard learned and some of the wisdom <laughs> that you've hard gained over the years to share with our listeners? Any one or two points? Sure. I mean, I, I think there's two things that I always point out to people that I think are really important. And one is invest in yourself. Um, you know, I, I think probably one of the things I find frustrating is when people are like, well, if my company's not sending me to this seminar or I'm not getting reimbursed for this, I'm not going to do it. And, and I think the best thing people can do is invest in themselves. Um, I can think of no better way to spend a little money than on learning something or developing a skill you didn't have. And so the one thing I try to impart to people is, you know, nowadays they're not gonna teach you how to speak better. Go learn to speak, 
They're not going to teach you how to communicate better. Go learn to communicate. Uh, they're not going to teach you yeah. how to write better. None of those things you can, but you can do those. Those are inherently skills. They're inherently learnable. You should really focus on doing that. Um, but the second thing is really around understanding how much of your own performance um, is really about your own self-discipline and your own ability to get things done. And, and it's learning that the people who truly are successful are disciplined and do things. They don't wait for motivation. They don't wait until mm -hmm. they feel like it. They actually yeah. are the people that get up every single day and they do stuff over and over again. And a couple of that, in fact, I talk about it in that, that Fear of Failure podcast or episode, mm -hmm. and that's that, you know, understand, um, I, I, I say as a writer, 80% of what I produce is garbage. And it is, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's complete and utter garbage. But I had, but it, you know, if I, if I let that make me sad, I wouldn't get anything done. Instead, I just understand going in that 80% of what I produce is garbage. And every day I sit down and I write every single day. And if you do that every day, that 20% that isn't garbage adds up, adds up and adds up. So I think it's, I think it's invest in yourself, get those skills. I think it's also in, invest in learning about the, the value of self-discipline and don't be so hard on yourself when things aren't perfect because it's that yes. iteration process and that discipline that really, really drives you Absolutely. to Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Uh, some sage advice there, especially as we're talking about, you know, this digital technology, technological yeah. world, but it's not about learning the technology. You can do that. You can learn that. That's the easy bit. These Absolutely. Days. The hard bit is those other things that you said. Um, I think it's important. Don't be too hard on yourself. I no. think that's very important. And I think it's 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 even just a life lesson. Hey, we're moving into coach then. Life coaching. Lot of a few final questions, kind of a quick fiery sure. things here. Uh, you mentioned artificial intelligence, AI. Yeah. Is AI overhyped right now, do you think? Um, I, I think, is it overhyped? I think that it is probably misunderstood rather than overhyped. And I think that people yeah. think it solves a lot of things it doesn't um, <laughs> and, and instead of focusing on the things it actually does well. Um, and yeah, I, think, yeah. I think being a smart consumer means understanding how AI ML can be applied to interesting real world cases and not assume that it's gonna do everything for you in the world and replace all the humans. As an example. Yes, yes. So again, where we thought with cloud, it will be the panacea. AI won't be the panacea either. No. But understand where it can work, what it does, and what it's all about. Um, Absolutely. Is digital transformation generally misunderstood? Yes, and and I think that's the core principle you and I talked about earlier, which is digital transformation is really an enabler to having an organization sort of most efficiently and effectively execute its strategy. That's where it's applied. And I think people get too caught up on, on looking for the outlier cases or the fringe cases. Uh, and it's not that those are horrible things, but I think, I think it's really about getting the organization focused on leveraging technology to do the things they need to do better than they're doing them today. Um, yeah. And I think that's where it really has great application to most organizations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's good. a good phrasing for it. Um, you'll love this one. We spoke about it earlier. Moving to cloud should save an organization lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my favorite conversations with CIOs, in fact, I think the first one I had about this was probably about five to six years ago, where the CIO said, don't give me some cost savings thing. We're, we're past that conversation. Start talking to me about the rest of it. And I yes. remember the first time he said that, I heard that from a CIO, I kind of looked at him and went, oh, the rest of it. Oh, you mean the sort of innovation stuff? And they're like, yeah. 
So I, I think in a weird way, the way to think of it is we now understood the, the economics of cloud. Um, I think the people who continue to harp on it are harping on it for no real reason. Instead, we should be changing that conversation around from the simple economics to cloud to the opportunities of cloud and how you can do things in the cloud you can't do in your data center, what those things are and how they can very positively impact your business. Great, fantastic, fantastic. I think that's that's a, that's a core message there. We're coming to the end. A lot of um, any final words on how digital technologies and services is changing the world we live in. I know we're in a COVID world right now. Any final thoughts on um, what's changing and how it's changing? Yeah, I think what's been most interesting about sort of uh, this year in particular is is how many of those uh, constraints got removed this year all of a sudden. You know, <laughs> I, in fact. <laughs> In fact, you'll appreciate this, Mark. I, I think my favorite question in the world is I always often ask CIOs, they say, how long does it take to migrate to the cloud? And they look at me blankly and they go, I don't know. And I said, well, if you gotta be out of your data center in one year, magically, somehow your cloud, your entire migration takes a year. You know, If you've got five years, magically it takes five years. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I think this is a situation and where we saw this this year was when all of a sudden, oh, work from home, remote work, telework, all these other sorts of things, you know, it's too complicated, yeah. it takes forever. Then all of a sudden when you needed a telework solution in two months, magically everyone has a telework solution in, in two months. And so um, I, I think that um, I think that's probably the message is that uh, the constraints oftentimes are the ones that you place on things. Um, that's what makes your timelines or shapes your timelines. It's your own constraints, not the reality of the marketplace and the reality of the technology. I think we're going to have to put that into a formula. That sounds fantastic. That that is the formula for how long does it take? I think it's <laughs> how long you got. How long have you got? Yeah, how long? Yeah, fantastic. Logan Williams, thank you so much for joining us today on CCC Talks. Been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks.